Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And this is the beauty of podcasting, the freedom of the medium. Gokumpa. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. Fireworks. Don't muck about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis. Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me. Are you being served? Monkey tennis. Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis. Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis. Why not consider chips? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nah. Monkey tennis from the Oast House. Keep it down, love. Hello, friends, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Check your balls, check the inside of your bum. Message over. Nick Alder. It's a fun, funky way to firm up your bum. And Tom Stab. Like all churches, there are one or two racists. So, uh, welcome to Once Another Monkey Tennis. We'll be diving into episodes eight and nine of uh, Alan's podcast from the Oast House very shortly. Uh, we thought it was worth mentioning at the top of the episode, we recently sailed past episode 100. We've been doing this for four years, and if you would like to show your appreciation, we would certainly love to receive it in the form of a coffee or a kofi. Uh, if you'd like to shout us the price of a cup of coffee, or maybe be very generous and give us five coffees, one for each member of the team, you can do so at ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis. Uh, thanks in advance for your 
your huge generosity. Um, before we dive into the main bulk of today's episode, we thought it was uh, we're, we're deep enough into the Oast House to maybe look at some of the coverage, uh, the press coverage and the interviews that Steve Coogan's given around the project and see if there's a few more tidbits that we can uh, glean from those. So starting with Mr. Tom Stab, I believe, uh, who had a look at LinkedIn. Yeah, so I mean, I think less to do with sort of promo and in that sort of world. It's more, uh, I think, this is something that possibly the marketing team at Audible have have put together. And um, Alan is officially on LinkedIn. He, uh, what's the name of the? He's a premium user. That's it. He's, a, of course, he's a premium user. Of course, he is. Just um, him and Bruno Brooks. We've learned. <laughs> So, yeah, if you if you search for um, the real Alan Partridge on LinkedIn, you'll be able to find him. And there's some nice little tidbits here, which I think um, have sort of the hallmarks of the, the Gibbons writing. So I think they may have put together a few little bits for this. So I'll just re- quickly read the about section um, and then go into what else, what other goals you can find on the profile. So, yeah, this is the about section. Alan Partridge is an experienced, dynamic, versatile broadcaster who has joined LinkedIn not to hustle for work. He has work, very good work. He doesn't need work, but to cock a snook at those LinkedIn users who have snubbed him in the past. You know who you are. You might be Valerie from Corsadil Mouthwash who decided I wasn't big enough to keep on as a brand ambassador or one of the Oxbridge graduates at Endemol who sell they'll call me back and then don't. Or any of the idiots at Carphone Warehouse or Channel 4 or Dave. (laughs) to you people i say here have a business card and then reach into my pocket as if to get one out and then i take my hand out and there's no card just my middle finger that works better in person thank you (laughs) um and then there's a few bits on the page which i won't go into um specific details on you can have a look at it in your own time but there's um there's a think yourself creative thought piece that alan has written uh and then also there's some gold in the experience section to find as well so uh i recommend going onto linkedin and finding alan partridge's uh, profile and also if you do add him he will accept you so i am connected to alan partridge on linkedin and isn't there that there's like a whole list of his previous jobs or something aren't there when it's kind of like coded messages yeah it's very good Um, there's 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 some good little nuggets there which uh, i'll let people discover in their own time because it i did try reading it through sort of out loud before we recorded the podcast it does the gag does it doesn't quite it's difficult to explain you have to kind of read it to understand how it's sort of formatted and laid out to get the to get the gag so i recommend doing that in your own time cool um a couple of bits that i've spotted uh, over the last couple of weeks as well uh digital spy had a short piece about oast house and i just thought it was quite interesting they had some quotes from Coogan here uh, revealing that they've had to be careful filling in the character's backstory in the podcast because it's all too easy to get things wrong. So the quote from Coogan, we have to be careful because the more we fill in, when you have a blank page, you can be inventive. You have to be, you can be a little cavalier with your choices because you're not hostage to any pre-existing facts. The more facts you put out into the story, you have to respect them and sometimes you'll slip up. Uh, It continues, there are anecdotal things that could have happened to him, but the writers didn't want to have to change anything by missing something important. So I just thought it's quite interesting that they're, they're acknowledging the fact that I guess the character's backstory now goes on for the best part of 30 years. Even they know that it's going to be very easy for them to get things wrong, make something inconsistent, slip up with things. And I think, you know, when you look at something like the character's age, for example, even think mistakes around that will come into play over the next few episodes. 
Sounds like a man living in fear of uh, four super sleuths on a podcast, ready <laughs> exactly to uh, pull apart the Alan Partridge timeline. <laughs> and, and speaking of which, uh, Steve Coogan was also on the Empire podcast. I think quite often people ask us, "Oh, do you know if uh, do you know if Steve Coogan knows that monkey tennis exists? Do you know if he's heard of it?" And uh, I think now we have uh, this short extract from his interview on Empire to play people, and uh, you can make up your own minds. I mean, there are a lot of very thin, flimsy podcasts out there, frankly. It's like, could, that be, a, could that be a thinly veiled comment on monkey tennis? We'll never know. Um, a couple of interesting things that Coogan said in that interview. Um, so he kind of talks about the way Alan is now in 2020, that he's not completely out of step. He's just slightly out of step. Um, he talked about some of his favourite moments from across the uh, APU. In particular, he noted Scissor Dial being one of his favourite uh, shows. The Mid-Morning Matters shows being highlights for him. And also, he did specifically uh, highlight the Jill episode of I'm Alan Partridge. Um, he also did go on to talking about Alan Mark II in terms of the Gibbon era Alan as enjoying Mark II Alan more because there's more subtlety and there's more pathos to that character, whereas Mark I Alan is essentially an idiot, which I think we'd probably all broadly agree with. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something something we've mentioned before as well. Um, moving on, um, there was a Guardian interview, uh, which is a lot of fun because it's presented as an interview with Alan himself uh, rather than an interview with Steve. Um, and it's it's very lengthy. It does lift some kind of quotes and, and segments that you will hear uh, on the Oast House podcast as well. But there are a couple of bits that uh, I thought built Alan's world a little bit more that I would mention. Firstly, it seems that they give almost a specific location of the Oast House. Um, to quote, it says, turn right out of Norwich Railway Station, take the number 12 bus, change at Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital, ride eight stops on the number four towards Swanton Morley, walk 1.1 miles, and you can't help but spot the twin louved conical towers of the Oast House that Alan Partridge calls home. So uh, I expect a listener with perhaps more time and inclination on their hands than me uh, can follow that route and try and uh, work out the specific location of Alan's Oast House and do let us know. Um, oh, that'd be good. The next bit is uh, a reference to uh, Seldom's insatiable hunger, which I enjoyed a lot. Uh, <laughs> Alan says to the interviewer, I'd ask that you remove any sandwiches, and if you've handled any such snack in the last hour, wash your hands quietly and well. His dog, he explains, an enormous brown mastiff called Seldom, adores sandwiches. Alan goes on to say, less than 0.1% of mastiffs attack. Unfortunately, Seldom's the whole of that 0.1%. The <laughs> kindest thing I can say is that he's a statistical anomaly. Um, so I enjoyed that bit a lot, and uh, yeah, uh, Seldom's hunger gets the better of him throughout this series. Um, he talks a little bit about the, the potential for more series of From the Oast House. Um, he says he's considering using a second series of his podcast to explore the disappearance of a friend who fell from a pier in 2013. Uh, so we obviously know that that's, uh, that's Michael Geordie. Um, he says, I'm just waiting to hear from Audible as they've yet to say they definitely want a second series. I'm not worried. It's just that they said they'd call and thus far they haven't. It's fine. They've not not called. They've just not called. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's so good. Yet yeah. to hear that they definitely will say yes. That's brilliant, yeah. Uh, there's a nice quick throwaway line where he says uh, a TV presenter claiming to prefer radio is like a Hollywood actor claiming their first love is for theatre, i.e. a clear and obvious lie. <laughs> and uh, a little bit of Den uh, Denise and Fernando detail. Um, the interviewer says, I interrupt to ask when he last saw his now middle-aged children. Alan replies, just before lockdown, they're shielding, so I couldn't visit anyway. Fernando says he had head cancer and Denise says she's sometimes <laughs> diabetic. So yeah, uh, his kids don't <laughs> want to see him. Um, and the final little tidbit from the Guardian article, I thought, was uh, there's a reference to Lynn's drive 
living band, which I thought was a nice bit of art imitating life because uh, Steve narrowly avoided a band earlier in the year, which we've mm. covered on previous episodes. Um, he says, uh, Partridge suddenly jumps up. Bugger me, I have to collect Lynn from a physio. Ah, yes, Partridge's dedicated assistant Lynn, who's worked for him since the 90s. As Alan continues, she's just started a 12-month driving band, so I'm having to ferry her around and subtract the petrol money from her wages. She fell asleep at the wheel after an Irish coffee and crashed into a station recent John's ambulance. People you'd expect to be able to cope in the event of a low-speed collision, but their training went out the window and they went to pieces. It was only when a second St. John ambulance arrived that they were able to restore some semblance of order. The judge made an example of her, which I think she was quietly flattered by. Um, <laughs> so I think there's definitely some parallels there with uh, perhaps with, with Coogan's own uh, brush with the law over driving offences. I love when they do these uh, pieces in character because it just extends the whole world around it, doesn't it? That's, that yeah. is a really worthy addition to the whole Oast House podcast itself, stuff like that. And I felt like they gave quite a lot of specific detail. I feel like when they do bits of press, they normally are careful not to add any any colour. But with this, you learn a few things that you wouldn't have got from the podcast. And I wonder as well, I, I mean, d- does that mean, d- do the Gibbons just sit down and write that and just deliver it to the Guardian? Or I wonder whether they actually work with a Guardian journalist to to kind of fill it in together. I'd be quite interested to know a bit more about that process, the kind of fictional interviews. My, my guess would be that they would offer it as an interview with Alan and explain how that would work. Yeah. Then they would write most of Alan's responses, or either that or the Guardian would send over questions and they would write responses mm. as Alan. I imagine it's probably written 90% by the Gibbons and then yeah. it's sort of guardianed up into their house style at the end. That's, that's how and, I and imagine I feel like it. They, you know what, just occurring to me, I feel like they've kind of missed a trick where they could have had Coogan in character on other podcasts. So Alan doing interviews on like Adam Buxton or something like that. That, that could be quite I a lot of fun I think the problem well. or challenge with that would be though that it's all scripted, isn't it? And so yeah, yeah, to yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. off the cuff um, and that yep. funny would You're probably not wrong. be a challenge. Um, there's one more piece of kind of, uh, I guess, peripheral uh, partridge updates, which was that um, on the Simon Mayo and Mark Kermode podcast this week, Simon Mayo talked about the time that he was the um, subject of a Noel Edmonds gotcha, um, which I was not familiar that, that he was. So I took to YouTube and um, watched the clip. Uh, I can't lie, it definitely wasn't the funniest thing I've ever seen. It was basically um, Simon Mayo being tricked into doing an interview on a unicycle and then, oh oh no, we thought that you could ride a unicycle, Simon Mayo, but actually obviously he couldn't. So he had to be kind of like held up on this unicycle and conduct an interview whilst on the unicycle. So that was the gist of it. Uh, And then obviously Edmonds came out and and got him. Um, But yeah, a nice little kind of uh, peripheral piece of Partridge news in the uh, wider podcast world this week. Cool, and I think before we launch into our episode dissection, I've got one more thing. I've got a little Easter egg for us to all try. Um, now, this, this worked for me, so hopefully I love an it will Easter work egg. Is it well. chocolate? If you can get, uh, I think, so everybody should have the Audible app on their phone. If you can open that app yep. and search for Oast House and hit return, let me know if anything interesting comes up on screen. And if it doesn't, I'll explain what should happen. <laughs> doesn't look very interesting to me. No. Okay. And what if, if, if you click on Oast House, what happens? Okay. Okay. Nothing. Apart from it uh, taking me to that. Just to the episode. Hmm. It's yeah. just taking me to from the Oast House and it says, do I want to give it a short sample? Interesting. Yeah, I've got that as well. Okay. So when I did this a few weeks ago, and I have also seen people post this screenshot on Twitter... When I searched for um, Oast House or From the Oast House, 
I got a notification that came up, said, congratulations, you've earned the silver high noon badge. Mm. And then there's a little logo with it, with like the, um, uh, the like a cowboy boot. Uh, mm. I wonder it... if it's for early adopters. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, weird. If uh, any of our listeners also came across that, let us know. No, oh, that, that, that's, that's a shame. Thought it might be a bit of fun to try live, but uh, it hasn't worked out. It's like <laughs> the confetti cannon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> from, from White City Pyrotechnics. Yeah. Uh, as, as Tom Stab says, if you uh, if you did earn the Silver High Noon badge yourself, then uh, do get in touch and let us know. Or maybe you even got in early enough to get a gold. Perhaps there's other badges that yeah. we weren't even yeah. quick enough for. Um, so let's move on to uh, today's first episode, which is episode eight, subtitled Letters. Uh, here at Monkey Tennis, we're also polite, happy, and we get lots of letters, uh, which you'll know that here on a future feedback episode. Uh, but this opens with a sort of an, an ASMR play playground almost partridge opening his mail with a coffee a, a sonic picture as he calls it a noise, or a noise diagram. diagram a noise diagram yeah. so should we go through those noises you get stirring tea you get slurping you get the opening of a letter you get an r and then the clatter of a plate <laughs> really, really paints a picture oh yeah which is uh, rosa his housekeeper dropping a plate uh, he says it happens about once a month but he doesn't mind as long as it's not the good ones Yes, um, which we'll come back to later in the episode, I think. Yeah, so, you know, he says it doesn't matter if she drop, drops one plate a month, so 12 plates a year. Um, <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't there quite a good plate-dropping story from when you guys li- lived together? Didn't Nick drop a whole <laughs> load of plates and smash them all in the <laughs> kitchen? <laughs> that were, that uh, could have been very serious, to, to be fair. Um, yeah, we nearly lost our deposit, Nick. <laughs> we had to clean that up. <laughs> uh, Nick, Nick was trying to clean a sort of wall-mounted uh, It's like a dresser. Holder. It's like a dresser. Yeah. Yeah. On the last day we lived at, uh, at the property together, and uh, he overreached, <laughs> had to catch his form <laughs> on the uh, on the crockery holder. The entire thing came off the wall. I reckon he must have smashed about thirty plates because it was so so late in the day, and we had to move out in about an hour's time. We literally just left the shards in a cardboard box in the lounge with the word "sorry" written on it. Well, no, 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 and, no. It, I, I, and it wasn't just plates as well, wasn't it? Like plates, bowls, it, mugs, yeah. glasses. It was everything. Mm. But I fo- I remember I phoned the landlord straight after it had happened and kind of <laughs> explained what what had just uh, taken place because we were due to move out in like an hour's time and him just saying i don't know what you want me to tell you <laughs> <laughs> oh well there you go uh, just another thing you and rosa have got in common that and, that and a love of the go compare adverts <laughs> um so yeah with with, with that uh, with alan saying who cares if she drops a plate a month and then he suddenly realizes that would mean that's a whole set so he's suddenly not so keen on that happening. No. Um, and he also says that the uh, the sound of a man or woman opening letters was a familiar sound up and down the land. I mean, I think when you think about opening letters, would you would you put that hand in hand with a noise? I'm not sure that I would. It's an action. No. It's an activity. It's not a noise. I wouldn't really. Um, he tries to uh, tries to give some other examples of that sort of thing, uh, and there's some nice pronunciation. He describes the whistle of a kettle, which I think is the first uh, HW noise he's made this series, the whistle. Um, and also another sound that he seems to use all the time these days, the bring-bring of what, <laughs> yeah. what he describes as a baker light, but I think he means a bake light. Um, I believe it's, it's pronounced bake light, so that's another one of those Nesquilk, Draclia, baker light type <laughs> pronunciations that we've had. Oh, I actually don't know, because how how's that? Is that written with an e? Uh, yeah, it's it's spelled B A K E L I T E. 
Um, but he oh, pronounced yeah. it hmm. Baker Light. So uh, yeah, I, yeah, I genuinely don't know how that's supposed to be pronounced. Old school. Um, he also says he loves the smell of letters, um, and sort of <laughs> seems to kind of confuse his eras because he's talking about wax seals on a letter as if they were rife in his day. But I mean, he's not that old. Um, surely wax and parchment predate partridge by hundreds of years. So he's sort of imagining a history he didn't live through. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's some dispute over age, uh, as we'll get into in the next few episodes, but not that much, definitely. Yeah, I think unless he's sort of, yeah, 800 years old, that seems a bit of a stretch. Um, yeah. Was talk- anyone else with... Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to kind of agree that, he, yeah, he talks about kind of the, 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 the quills and... and, um, and Well, he might have a Mont Blanc pen, to be fair. Um, did anyone kind of pick up on the mid-morning matters kind of um, pop, pop, pop to the tap, tap, tap that we get in um, the Oast House? Uh, yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah. Where he's kind of just oh, yeah. like, he starts going on a bit of a tap thing, but he's just aimlessly rambling with it in the same way that um, he's kind of fizzing um, with ideas in Mid-Morning Matters. Where he's, I think, is he talking to Craig, <laughs> who's the manager yeah. of Mid-Morning Matters? Like, pop, 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 pop. Did anybody have to look up um, the, the word olfactory as well at in this uh, point? No, I was no. familiar with that I, one. I'd never heard that word before, so that's the def defined as it's basically the sense of smell i yeah. i did not know that yeah. word pertaining I was, I was, to smell yeah. uh, was anybody else kind of with him when he was talking about how angry he gets at people that leave the ketones on their phone hundred uh, percent. quite happy that in real life he has provided people with a step-by-step guide of how to turn them off i've turned mine on um so mine what Mine are now, when my phone is um, not on silent, which it is most of the time, it is not on silent, the clicks are enabled. So I will have Why? clicks. Because I quite like the sound of the clicks. No one else does. <laughs> so, you, so you want that audible <laughs> feedback? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm, well, k- keep your headphones mm. on in that case. The, yeah, the only people who actually have those on, apart from Nick, clearly for some weird reason, is people in films and TV, like to show that they are actually doing yeah. it. But... Or, or maybe people, or maybe old women like Lynn. I'd imagine Lynn would. I'd imagine Lynn would like a would like a key. <laughs> you say Nick's like an old woman. Uh, yes, Steady. yes, I think I probably am. Yes, I think I am. Like Lynn because he likes tapping on his phone. <laughs> like Rosa because he smashes plates everywhere he goes. <laughs> and I reckon Lynn would probably wear booties like Nick does as well. So yeah, oh, I think it yeah. makes sense. Have we done? And a is a fan or? of an early night. No, yeah. we're not doing a poll. Okay, fine. Um, he's, he really he really forces in a uh, an audible reference as well when he uses yeah. the word audibly, and this is brought to you by Audible, which doesn't yeah. make any sense, but fair enough. Um, I thought that was, was a mistake at first. It's it's so poorly woven into that audio, but I kind of thought it was a mistake. I think deliberately so. That's a pear tree production's hallmark, isn't it? Uh, I actually just didn't yeah. know what to make of that. I genuinely thought it was a mistake. I thought it sounded just sounded a bit odd, but it kind of makes sense now you've explained it and through the optics of poor pear tree productions um you know sound quality but yeah i wasn't yeah. sure what it was um he also makes the point that the british have a fetish for being choked by the americans culturally i think there's some truth to that i think i think there's quite a few bits that partridge has said at the top of this episode that i agree with you know how everyone now calls it instead of calling it like a tv series it's called seasons seasons, seasons. Yeah, yeah 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 that's what i, I yeah. remember that seasons um the the sort of uh, proms uh halloween i mean Sm- i like halloween but you yeah. know yeah absolutely. to an extent uh just a few examples of american cultural imperialism for you there I, I i really enjoyed the wording american english tightening its grip around the throat of british culture with little to no resistance he he doesn't just dislike american things he hates american things until seconds uh, until later we get, until an episode <laughs> later on in this series which we'll, yes. which we'll get to 
Alan is inconsistent by his very nature. Or even a section in this series where he's uh, seconds later doing a twerk that workout on YouTube. I mean, which, <laughs> yeah. co- which country did he think that originated from? Uh, simple gag, but a bit of fun. Did anyone else look up twerk dat exercises? Uh, yes, <laughs> no. I did on Spotify, actually. Um, the results were unremarkable, but there were results. So I, I think, is it worth saying? So basically, the premise of this episode is Alan is setting out he's going to open his mail with us. Uh, let us into that uh, that routine. So, can we do a recap at the end of this episode to see what insight we actually get? See, yes, see what Mailey actually goes through. Um, and also, he seems to judge his mail by quantity rather than quality. He compares fanning out his letters to a trawlerman looking at a full net and thinking, "I got those." <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was a bit disturbed by uh, the next crash that we hear from Rosa. She sounds genuinely distraught, like she's crying about the plate. Um, And he does seem to have some sort of concern for her, but also more keen than anything to know if it's a good plate or not that she smashed. (laughs) Yeah, and did you know how she sounds so excited when he says, go and sit on the front step and have a cigarette? (laughs) You hear her say, can I? Really? That's that's Alan's absolute generosity because he basically doesn't want to have to deal with the fact that she is crying. Yes, and, and there's a nice bit where he's sort of, you know, Rosa, Rosa, it matters not one iota. And then as soon as she's out of earshot, he's like, yeah, it was one of the good ones. <laughs> um, is it this point Alan is talking about his miniature cutlass letter opener? Um, I remember my, I think my great uncle or somebody had had a miniature cutlass letter opener. I remember being a small child and being obsessed with it because like, that's great. That's like a tiny sword. Um, yeah, and probably much because like Alan, it made me feel like a giant pirate. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone uses a letter opener in 2020, do they? Who has any kind of significant level of mail that they'd need an implement to open it? I mean, I try and avoid mail as much as I can. Um, but yeah. uh, Entirely I thought, fair. I thought we got some prophetic um, COVID advice where Alan talks about not mm. wanting to lick an envelope, which I, th- I thought seemed quite um, uh, contextually relevant given the, the situation we're in at the moment, where he essentially says you should either be using pre-gummed envelopes uh, or use a damp sponge like a postmistress. Um, Good advice. Yeah, in 2020, feels even more relevant. (laughs) Um, And then he uses his cutlass, arguably a relic of a bygone age, to open the first letter from Roy Hurst in Felixstowe, also arguably the relic of a bygone age. Um, (laughs) So uh, he's writing in to ask whether Alan thinks he's racist because he has racial preferences. Uh, He goes on to give a ranking in descending order, says it's not to do with hatred, simply preference. Uh, Alan is keen to kind of kind of fold his advice or his response into a bit of a compliment sandwich here, isn't he? I thought this... I don't know what anyone else thought about it, but this to me seemed like a a slightly strange letter in and of itself anyway, because there can't be any kind of grey lines with it and there's not lots of humour to really draw out of it. I did like that kind of Alan's like, oh, I love the handwriting, and she said it's a bit of a compliment sandwich, but it did feel like even in an Alan world, there wasn't tons of humour to be drawn out of it because you can't really find the shades of grey in this joke. Well, I, I would say I think the letter itself isn't that funny. Like the kind of the ranking of race, the ranking of racial preferences, that mm. almost felt a bit awkward in a twenty twenty lens. But I don't think that's really where the gag lies. I feel like the payoff is really all down to Alan's response, and I think there's actually quite a lot of detail to unpick in it because it goes his response. He goes through it quite fast, and I think there's actually quite a lot to go through. Um, so if you if you allow me to go through my, I've got I've got a seven point response for this. <laughs> Wow. Denial, shame, acceptance. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, you know, number one, he praises the handwriting. Two, he's very clear that it's factually racist. Three, Roy includes a recipe for farmhouse fruitcake, so surely (laughs) Alan could have just read that out instead, 
be much more um, a much more safer thing to, to read in the podcast. Um, four, Alan acknowledges his audience is a broad church, and this line is crucial. And like all churches, there are one or two racists who are normally sitting near the front. I thought that's basically Lynn's mum. Uh, <laughs> five. Um, this is a slight aside, but you know, there's a bit where Alan says, uh, "Would that it were not so, but therefore it's all to see so," which is kind of broadly Shakespearean. I think that's kind of a bastardisation of a line from Hamlet. Um, it also made me think of. Uh, if you guys have seen uh, the Coen Brothers film Hail Caesar, where they had that long exchange about would 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 that it were not so, the back mm-hmm. and forth with that, it just made me think of that. Would that um, it were so simple. That's the one. Would that it were so simple. Um, five, uh, I liked Alan dispensing advice on how to be less racist. So that try as much as you can to be less racist. Yeah, Start by not being racist one day a week, then two, then three. I thought, obviously, that is more appropriate advice you'd give to somebody who's trying to quit drinking or smoking. Um, although I thought <laughs> it was kind of actually quite charming, because if only it were that easy for people to not be racist. Uh, six, why did Roy even send Alan this letter in the first place? It's batshit. Um, but obviously, I think the payoff there is is a great depiction of Alan's listeners and fan base. Yeah. And uh, then seven, there's a left turn of a mildly offensive payoff, but it's not along racial lines because Alan then says calligraphy is the art of camp writing. So you've got all those things that actually play out probably in around a minute of dialogue from Alan responding to the letter. So I think the letter itself isn't that funny, but I think the way... I think the way Alan deals with it is is where the payoff is. Yeah, it's it's, it's what it lets them do as writers, isn't it? Yes. I suppose. Um, yeah, and I also like the, when you talk about the bit about trying to be less racist. It's that once you get to three days a week where you're not racist, then as Alan says, you've broken the back of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like when people don't people say like if you're quitting smoking, like the first three weeks are the hardest. It's that is that kind of thing. You get over the hump, and then you'll be mm. fine. Um, I like uh, on the subject of, of mail from other celebrities, he talks about getting a charity Christmas card from Anthea Turner that he found a bit preachy. I think there is a lot in this series where he's referring to other celebrities where the behaviour he's describing is kind of behaviour you can imagine coming from them. So when he talks about Edmonds, the way he talks about him, you can sort of imagine the things he says being true about Noel Edmonds. And similarly, mm-hmm. when he says the Christmas card from Anthea Turner is a bit preachy, you're sort of like, yeah, I imagine a Christmas card from Anthea Turner probably would be. You can allow it, though, Adam, because she is uh, the Ford Cabriolet of middle-aged women. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Um, and he also does a recurring thing where, again, he, he makes tries to make an emoji gag that doesn't work and then says, I must do stand-up. Um, so I think, is almost... that the second time we've heard him say, must do stand-up? Yeah. And obviously Se- that does come back second. No, third, I think, actually. Yeah, second or third. Third, I think. But yeah, I mean, that, to, that comes to, back several times. To the point where, I mean, I know he, he probably won't, but why, you almost imagine that a future episode of this would be him trying to do stand-up. Yes. Um, I had a note, before we move on, I had a note when Alan refers to, uh, it says, much like St Paul sending letters to the Corinthians. Now, I don't know if there's perhaps a more in-depth biblical joke there, um, because I I don't know what the context would be. But obviously, I think the Gibbons and Coogan do have previous form with kind of religious, uh, embedded religious gags. Um, for example, with the resurrection being referenced at the end of Mid-Morning Matters Series 2 with the stigmata palms and the 3pm doctor's appointment on a Friday, which obviously Stephen Mangan had to explain to us. So yeah. if there is a gag there that we haven't picked up on, uh, please do let us know. We'll just get in touch with Stephen Mangan. He'll tell us. Yeah. <laughs> he'll know. <laughs> yeah. um, I love that Alan claims to adore books, but then struggles to recount the plot of Pride and Prejudice, perhaps one of the most famous books available. <laughs> he clearly hasn't read um, it, has he? <laughs> no. Um, there's a nice bit of uh, world building where he talks about how Carol's life has fallen apart, which I really enjoy. So we learn that he's kept letters from Carol uh, 
but primarily because he knows that she'd hate that more than if he burned them, um, and that her life has fallen apart. Her fitness instructor has dumped her for a younger model, which I think is something we had predicted on on previous episode before we had it confirmed. Um, and at one point, she offered to go for a coffee with him, and I wondered, did this actually happen? It sounds like it actually might have done. She can, might have fallen to that low. I, well, I could imagine that if Carol has gone um, off with a fitness instructor and has then been promptly dumped you know, after a fairly short period of time and she's left her husband and her home, she probably thinks, oh, it's worth one spin of the dice. I'll see if he wants to go for a coffee and see what happens from there. But I kind of thought fair play to Alan for, you know, saying, nah, like... Yeah, he, I, I was on Alan's side for that. I thought, yeah, good on you. Yeah, at the end of the day, she did She did choose to leave him and um, it's 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 probably not easy for him. So yeah, fair, fair play to him if he just said, no, Carol, you, you're all right. Um, although when we uh, come to the grand uh, kids episode, uh, interesting to see how uh, uh, where the, where the family lies in terms of their their ties to Carol or Alan. Alan def- definitely kind of losing out on that front. Um, he's <laughs> he's then talking about being in the pub with his mates Daniel Flinch and Craig Savage again. Um, and I noticed the return of uh, Jembling, which Jembling's we've talked back. about a lot more. Yeah. Ho ho, tis the wending hour, etc., etc. So uh, yeah, uh, the uh, slightly gross practice of men trying to speak to each other and also trying to uh, chat up women using sort of archaic medieval language. Well, he describes it as a florid style of prose, doesn't he? Full of forsooths and betwixts. Um, and Daniel Flinch and Craig Savage pop up. Daryl Flinch. Daryl yeah. Flinch. Daryl, sorry, yes. Uh, yeah, a regular, regular characters now. Almost kind of filling a Pete Gabatas hole now that Pete has, is sadly no longer with us. He will be missed. Nick, as our resident Daryl Flinch expert, uh, do you have any intel on Craig Savage? Has he been mentioned before as well? I wasn't sure about that. Uh, not that I can recall. Um, mm, disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> Although to be clear, to be clear, you you said he was a Daryl Flinch expert, not a, an expert on uh, what was the name of the other guy? Craig Savage. <laughs> Craig Savage. <laughs> Craig Savage. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming these two come as a pair. I'm imagining it's a kind of David Brent Finchy type thing going on here. But I think the da- the Daryl Flinch joke is always that he's he's with his friend. So it's Daryl Flinch and his friend. So. The other person. So that could be unnamed. Craig Savage. It could be, but yep. the gag with Daryl Flinch is who is the other person? We don't know. Like, and that's that's the joke, isn't it? Because if you're going to if you're going to lunch with Daryl Flinch and his friend, you would name the friend, but yep. he doesn't mm-hmm. know who this person is. And yep. yet now they're constantly referring to him as Daryl Flinch and his friend, despite the fact that Alan's probably met him more than once. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, do we have the four-step guide to how Lynn wheedles out any abusive male to Alan? Yep, I've got that. I can go through that. Go does for it. it. St- does it stink? Bin <laughs> it. If it's written in block caps, bin it. Any spelling mistakes on the envelope, bin it. If it's addressed to Partridge or Mr. Partridge, bin it. <laughs> uh, final final check was... Oh, yeah, sorry, smell it. Yeah, that came yeah, first. Yeah. The most yeah, important. Yeah. Does it stink? <laughs> uh, and the reason that he doesn't trust a mail that's just addressed to Partridge rather than Alan Partridge or Mr. A. Partridge is that farmers and Labour Party sympathisers yeah. use your surname and it means they want to hurt you, which is a lovely bit of uh, Alan Yes Coogan No. And, and uh, also, of course, it, it's that the, the kind of example that we see in "I'm Alan Partridge" of the farmer shouting "Partridge, you wanker!" They'll never, they'll never give him the formality of the first name. Can we pause for a moment about those from the um, Norwich business community that we've lost this year? And does anyone have a view or perspective as to why that section or sting kind of existed, and why the list of names goes on for so long? <laughs> No. No. Okay. Great. <laughs> As you were. I think, sorry, I think Seldom comes in at this point, Adam. <laughs> yes. Uh, Seldom pipes up at the mention of spam. And what I like is Alan's uh, Alan's lack of understanding of, of, of dogs and their relationship to language. He thinks that he can keep saying the word spam, but calm Seldom down by saying, no spam, no spam, as if the word no is going to be understood. But clearly Seldom's just going mad at the repeated use of the word spam because he thinks there's spam in the cupboard. Um, we also didn't mention just quickly Alan's post bag is an old brown bean bag I wonder if he's uh, repurposed a bean bag he used to watch Nazi megastructures on perhaps quite possibly yes and uh, it seems that he's he's sent a lot of uh, repurposed gifts as well he mentions a jiffy bag uh, containing a knitted iphone case in black wool that he was sent uh, from dawn in halifax which he doesn't use because he doesn't want his phone to look like a member of the ira although he does say he once met jerry adams and he seemed all right <laughs> so that this is a weird one i couldn't really apart from i guess obviously a gag lies in terms of he's just been sent some mail which is quite odd but it's like I, it doesn't really link to anything does it specifically like and also a knitted iphone case what the hell is that <laughs> uh, they are available i did i did look them up that you you can get them on etsy it's basically yeah. just like a uh, like a knitted sock like it kind a of sock looks like a knitted window. sock yeah and exactly in, in the writer's defence that seems exactly like the sort of gift that a North Norfolk digital yeah. listener yeah, would yeah. make and post in for Alan and to be fair remember when the iPhone launched and they had those uh, knitted socks that you used to be able to get I used to use those no. all the time oh for iPods oh yeah. right yeah. yeah, but this that's the thing, that, 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 co- that would cover the whole thing. For an iPhone, that's no use. This is exactly the sort of thing that I would describe as Facebook marketplace fodder. <laughs> Agreed, yeah. yeah. Oh, what's this that. piece of shit? I don't know, I'll just send it to Alan Partridge instead. 
Um, there's quite a lot of chat about uh, a subject that I was hoping would come up in, term, in an episode called Letters, which is about the begging letters that Alan gets from uh, people, um, sort of asking for money or asking for support. Um, one example he gave is that somebody wrote claiming to be uh, the child of one of the makeup artists that worked with him on Knowing Me, Knowing You. So a tie across the Partridge universe. Uh, she'd become depressed and could he send a signed photo? He's very dubious about this, which I think would be fair if she was asking for sums of money, but he's literally asking for him to write his name on a photo and send it. How hard would that have been? <laughs> yeah, you have, you have an actual, well, arguably you have a begging letter uh, uh, just before that one, don't you? Where um, he goes, oh, here we go. Rare blood disease, operation in Florida, blah, blah, blah. So, so, you know, that is somebody actually asking for a donation. But, mm. yeah, in this follow-up letter, it's just for him to sign a photo, which, you know, shouldn't really be that much of a hardship. And actually, you'd think that he'd be pleased that somebody was asking for him to sign something. Like, that's a validation yeah. of his his celebrity. I thought Very the audio true. production was exceptionally good as well with the just, like, the reading and the scrunching and the clear yeah. throwing of the letter. It really kind of accentuated that gag. I had a note as well when he says back in the nineties, Britpop, etc. Good days. It, it's. I thought it was quite an interesting line because it's a bit of throwaway. But it's like, is that trying to? Is that kind of him trying to make out like he loved the nineties because he thinks it's an on vogue thing to do? But when you think about it in terms of the the character, considering the nineties is when his marriage fell apart, he shot a man dead on live TV, he lived in a hotel for over half a year, and began a raging chocolate addiction. It probably wasn't his uh, best decade, to be fair. He that's was yet to bounce back. <laughs> Has he had a good decade? That's true. Although I would argue that it's also when he probably had, you know, apart from the this time comeback, his his biggest decade in terms of success is when he was TV Quick's man of the moment or man of the moment. <laughs> uh, it's when he was on TV, probably the majority uh, out, out mm. of the decade so and far. I, yeah, um, I guess those things would outrank the fact his marriage fell apart for him. So, I, yeah. I, I think there's a bit of revisionist history here where he's sort of pretending that you know he was almost part of Britpop when, in fact, <laughs> when you think about the way that he interviewed Noel Gallagher, he was distinctly unimpressed at the time and he was uh, not with... a fan of shane mcgoff either exactly yeah. um yes so um i think high noon features again probably one of the, the most regular featuring characters of the series his internet troll who implies that alan has a little secret sexually uh, and then alan protests this for so long it seems <laughs> like he's hit a nerve uh, i mean i was kind of in two minds about whether whether high noon actually knows something here or whether it's just winding alan up well, yeah, I, 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 I think yeah, I think it's probably a bit of a, a, a stab in the dark because most people probably have a secret, and I'm pretty sure that Alan has a lot of secrets or things that he feels uncomfortable about. So the fact that you can just kind of throw that out there and put Alan, uh, you know, off guard is probably what he's doing. Oh, that's just reminded me. Um, I don't think this is something official. I think it's a fan doing this, but somebody has started a high noon Twitter account. I think it's called at No More Partridge. Okay. So they're making uh, out like yes, they're properly that. Yeah, yeah. stalking him, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I, I do like um, High Noon's uh, little dig at Alan because it works on a couple of levels. The fact that he says he sounds like Nicholas Witchell. Um, now, is that Alan's the second retor- Nicholas Witchell mention? Not sure. But um, Alan's reply to that is, uh, Nick Witchell remains one of the finest broadcasters on God's green earth. His commitment to his job as the BBC's royal correspondent is unimpeachable. Not only does that man love the royal family, he loves them in full knowledge that they cannot stand him. Now, 
there is some truth in that um, when looking at uh, Nicholas Witchell's Wikipedia page. Prince Charles famously said of him, I can't bear that man. I mean, he's so awful, he really is. And in 2002, his obituary of Princess Margaret, recorded sometime after her death, but screened immediately after the announcement of her death, was reportedly not well received by Buckingham Palace, as it mentioned her lover's and copious consumption of whiskey. Oh, brilliant. This is the the second Nicholas Witchell mentioned in this series, because I remember reading that Wikipedia page. That's when he talked about him, like, collecting butterflies. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, it's, it's a bit weird, because... Yeah, I guess they could have chosen someone else, but I guess it doesn't matter. Did anyone hear... Um, uh, uh, Alan uses the, the line common and, and scamsters, but it seems, seems to say scampsters. Did anyone yes. pick up on that? <laughs> yeah. Like from the yeah. kind of Dracula, Nesquilk, scampsters. Well, yeah, that was quite I, good. I yes. there, there's, there's loads of that throughout this series, yeah. which I think quite often you won't even notice it yeah, on the first time you're listening through. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm detecting these things on a second and third listen. I would actually, Same, yeah. I'd, love, I'd love to know the list of all of these things because I guarantee, as you say, we've probably missed a lot of them because sometimes you can they're quite difficult to hear or you'll hear them on a second listen or you know a third or fourth or whatever. But I'd love to see that full list of all of those kind of uh, mispronunciations that they've kind of um, weaved into the, the Partridge narrative. So it's time for the last letter of the episode, I believe. Does anyone have the detail <laughs> of, uh, of this one? So it's a tweet from uh, a listener of Alan's called, or a fan of Alan's, I don't know, called Mike Sutton. And it's actually uh, a letter from his grandfather that he wants to sort of uh, send to Alan. Which, And in 2004, um, his grandfather was placed in a home and then one day received a letter about the kindness of the staff and the activities. Uh, and then there was an arrow in the margin. Uh, and uh, Mike says that the grandfather that we all knew was still there because the first letter of each sentence spelled out Get me out of here. These people are cunts. <laughs> Which, the delivery of cunts from Steve slash Alan is so good. It's perfect. I, yeah. It's so perfect. I listen to it about three or four times in a row, to be honest. He's, he's so satisfied. Every time. He's so satisfied yeah. with it, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, he yeah. doesn't even pause. He just <laughs> goes straight. He doesn't even go, oh, no, that's a bit. He just goes cunts and the way it sort of sits obviously as the payoff to, to what was supposedly a very heartwarming story about you know they thought that his uh you know the grandfather had really was really kind of losing his way mentally that was but it, no, yeah. Was yeah still there still there because he's called the people at the home cunts and yeah i enjoyed that alan just says how lovely what a lovely note to end on <laughs> okay so guys can i recap the mail that alan has gone through in today's episode what have we learned? What, 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 <laughs> Let, what knowledge see. have we gleaned? Let's see what insight we can take from Alan's mailbag here. Okay, so one, a racist letter, which is read out in full. Two, some junk mail that he gets annoyed with and doesn't, <laughs> doesn't go through in any detail. Three, a knitted iPhone case. Four, a fan asking for donations for an operation. Five, the son of a former colleague asking for a signed photo for his mum. Six, a letter from his troll. Seven, a tweet, so not even a letter. So when you break it down, there's actually only one proper letter read out in full in 20 minutes, which is exactly the sort of success rate I'd come to expect from Alan. So (laughs) fair enough. And I think that brings us to the next episode, uh, one that is very high in drama and subtitled Break In, uh, opening with Alan going, show yourself, let's have a fight. Um, he says it's a live testimony I have been and may still be the victim of a home invasion and then he goes on to mangle a line about a bee (laughs) (laughs) I'm scared than a bee than you I mean I'm more scared of a bee than you (laughs) 
Brilliant. Love that. Oh, that line as well at the beginning where it's like, show yourself, let's have a fight. I'll smash your head. Not smash your head in, it's just, I'll smash your head. And the delivery of that is so so wild and frantic that you can tell Alan is genuinely shaken by uh, this potential break-in. Like, High yeah. Noon has definitely rattled him. So it's quite it's quite a fun start because it's a cold open and it is quite frantic like that. Um, and Alan, so yeah, basically Alan thinks he's subject to a home invasion, and but then he says it's it's ten twelve, which I presume means ten twelve in the morning. And I, I did think, well, that seems a bit odd for Alan to be encountering a potential intruder. But uh, I did check this, and apparently sixty five percent of burglaries occur between six a.m. and six p.m. So. Wow. Quite likely. I thought his um, his state of mind in this as well reminded me a lot of when he went um, uh, dumpster diving uh, in, I think it's Scissor Isle. Um, it is, yes. And, with and a, basically it's gets, a Freegan with um, Joel yes. Freegan. And then uh, the Freegan runs and he gets trapped in the warehouse overnight, doesn't he? And has to make yeah. himself a sort of a... a Giant scotter from bubble wrap. Exactly, Google yeah. It. Yeah, I felt like this is a very similar uh, level of fight or flight yeah, we get from yeah. Alan here. And also the thing is, if you're, if, you're, if you're suspecting that your house is being invaded, definitely record a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And well, do, I think oh, that, definitely I think, a good idea. I think that's true to form for what Alan's character would do, though. Like, if, there's, if he can capitalise on it and broadcast it, then he's going to take that opportunity. Mm. I like yeah, the idea fine. That, he's armed himself with a rolled-up yeah. newspaper. <laughs> Uh, so we learn the reason that he's uh, on high alert uh, is that he's received a letter from a man he believes is high, high noon, uh, Alan's troll, um, and it wasn't stamped. Uh, and so he's responded by carrying a rolled-up newspaper in order to try and affect high noon's spatial awareness if attacked. Yes, he's going to poke him in the eye. Um, uh, I did quite like the detail that uh, he never gives out his home address, not even to taxi drivers. He gets them to drop him at a farm and then he runs across a field. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> Uh, I did enjoy so after the kind of initial intro that we kind of cut to him kind of in the host house and he's almost like he's calming down with a, a cup of options uh, mm. and his trotters are in a foot spa. <laughs> trotters, yeah. that is specifically like, trotters, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his sort of version of meditation is emptying his mind of anything controversial or interesting and imagining a bland garden. <laughs> <laughs> so that reminded me of uh, Let Go with Alan Partridge from uh, I'm Alan Partridge. Remember the breathing techniques from tape one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and and did, did, you, did you spot he's slurping away at his couple yeah. options, even though in the yeah. previous episode he said that he never slurps? Oh, uh, yeah, I did. Oh, great spot. Yeah, that is a good spot. Um, good. So the reason that his, his, his panic is heightened is that High Noon traditionally to this point has emailed or sent letters via the BBC, yep. um, but this one's come direct, um, and he's used the word misunderestimate, which Alan laughs at, um, and he says that High Noon puts a line through his sevens, which beggars belief. Um, and so Alan kind of makes peace with these letters up until now by skewering them on a spike. Nice spike callback. The thing yep, about the enjoyed. sevens, he says he's doing that like he's French. Is that a French thing? It's a continental seven. Because I, 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 do do, I do lines on I my sevens. That. I didn't know that yeah. was considered continental or French. We're yeah. very continental people, Clearly. Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, the letter was on his doorstep. Uh, initially, he hoped it was the invite to the launch of a big car. That's the criteria. <laughs> yeah. that he, as long as the car's big, he'll be there. Um, I also really liked his description where he says that the writing was as higgledy as it was pickledy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he says as well, this troll's campaign against me is something to enjoy or mock, like Nigel Slater's parallel parking. 
I think that's that's another <laughs> classic example where they've gone. What celebrity name can we insert here that's going to be funniest? Like that's such an odd I, reference choice. I I hope they have a, a, like two bowls and one's just got a load <laughs> yeah. of random yeah. names in, and the other one's got a load of random actions in. There's like yes. Nigel Slater trying to parallel park. Yeah, Some sort know. of Alan Partridge uh, celebrity rumor generator. Yeah, like, yeah. Someone <laughs> should make one online. They've got Nick Knowles, Eamon Holmes, Nicholas Witchell, Nigel yeah. Slater. They're all in there. Yeah. Um, I feel a little bit like this episode. It's almost like they wrote the previous episode and then this was just a natural lead on because it's still about, a lot of it's about mail. Um, so he gives, mm. for example, he gives a detail that he always slices letters away from the face in case of anthrax or sneezing powder. Sounds like, uh, I can imagine, he's probably never had anthrax sent to him, but I can imagine maybe in his BBC days, one of his colleagues playing a practical oh, joke. No, there's, that's a very specific callback to uh, Nomad. He has an anthrax yeah. scare in Nomad. Oh, of course yeah, he does. The, yeah, the oh, because he's he's he music, but yeah, 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 but he doesn't understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did enjoy. Um, I'm not sure if we're gonna. We should probably get into the detail of um, the letter. Uh, I, I kind of enjoyed it being called from the outhouse. Yes. Alan kind of having to like mm-hmm. almost pro- you you hear Alan kind of live processing the joke, which um, yep. I thought was very good. <laughs> you know, my notes next to that, I literally have just written enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, one thing, it's such a basic gag, but every yeah. time I listened, it really made me laugh. Um, he briefly imagines how he might adapt to life as a woman, which is almost almost a call forward to uh, uh, something that is the bulk of a future episode. We'll get onto. Yeah. Um, and agree. he uh, he's quite defensive of automatic cars, and I'm with him as a, an automatic driver. Why I was surprised by this. I would never have Alan down as an automatic driver. I thought he would always be a kind of uh, gear shift guy. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I'm, I, I was surprised too, but uh, glad that he's gone down that route. When he goes off on one, imagining what he would do if he were a woman, how he'd adapt, how he'd dress. I thought it was interesting when he says, I've got a nice back, which begs the question, has he lost the build-up of fatty deposits just above the belt line? <laughs> because years ago, he had a fat back, not a nice back. That's Something's true. changed. Maybe it's all those whips at the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and he sort of doesn't he sort of imagine he, he likes to get into imagined arguments is this the bit where he sort of imagines the, the kind of threatening high noon he says I know people big loyal boys who've done menial work in my garden happy to earn 500 pounds for an extra 15 minutes work I did like yes. the kind of uh, payoff as well there where he says one of them isn't all there and he once saw him brain a rabbit with a pan <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that this also might be another kind of through line to the later dreams episode because there is a local kind of farmhand or is it a delivering milk or something that appears in that yeah. episode yeah so yeah. i'm assuming that's one of the big loyal boys uh maybe this is going to be a um uh, we'll kind of leave you aghast in the same way that my uh, request for talking about the fallen business leaders from norwich but i have the same kind of question about um being smart lawnmower smart like yeah what was it what was this all about like i feel like some of these like um stings or kind of like false adverts are ludicrous and this is one of the most ludicrous i suspect the reason that he is imploring people to uh, if you must strim strim safe uh is just is not that anyone's asked him to do it but i think it's probably he's watched enough tv or, or or listened to enough radio to know that if you've got space in your product for ads and you don't have enough ads then what you'll often do is offer them out to a charity and i think he hasn't bothered to do that but he's just thought about what are things <laughs> what are things that i think are important e.g be improper lawnmower use and then he's kind of created his own public service announcement as if he's doing it on behalf of someone else but actually it's just something that he wants to put out there that if you must strim strim safe 
And I agree with Alan because uh, from an article that I researched uh, on lawnmower injuries, according to an article in The Telegraph, lawnmower-related injuries see 6,500 admissions to A&E every year. That is all good and well, and fair enough, well-argued, well-justified. But one of Alan's points is, in this incredibly short segment, is lay off the booze. <laughs> as, if <you> need to, <laughs> as, as if you need to be told to basically not drink whilst you're doing the gardening. Uh, is it time for the phone call with Lynn next? Because yes. that is my absolute highlight of this episode, and I think I, one of my uh, favourite exchanges of the series. I'm loving the way that they leave you to imagine <laughs> Lynn's reaction on the other end of the line. Yeah, yeah. She's Lynn, Lynn's character is such a strong presence throughout the series without actually being heard. Like, because the thing is, you don't need to hear her side of the conversation yeah. with Alan to know what she's saying to him. Like, you you can you can you can basically hear it with with your mind's eye. So let's start with the premise of this, which is yeah. ludicrous to begin with. He doesn't know where his own rolling pin is, so he's called her to find out where his rolling pin is kept because presumably she does all of the sort of pastry rolling, you know, whatever. Uh, and uh, and yeah, yeah, he doesn't know where it is in his own house. And then you've got him going, Lynn, 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 Lynn calm down, you're getting me frothy now. So <laughs> Lynn's rather in, it, overexcited on the other end of the phone as well because it... Uh, and doesn't it transpire she's getting her hair done at the church? Yes, which means she's also then returned Alan's call mid-haircut. Yes. So presumably she's got a phone to her ear while someone is working around it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hadn't thought about the practicalities of that. Yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, so then then you hear Alan say, uh, he says to her, why would they come after you? No one knows who you are. I love the way that he's almost putting, he's always putting her down in quite subtle and discreet ways as well. It's like he doesn't need to say that, but obviously because of their relationship he has. And then, then they're going on to, what with the woman at the church? Christ, sorry, sorry, she's doing biscuits and flowers. She's on your patch. You're going to have to do something. So, <laughs> so we get the, it's where they start planting the seed that Lynn is in some kind of church group dispute of some nature. Uh, yes, and uh, I really liked how specific he was about how to undermine uh, her rival at the church. Uh, initially just saying sabotage her process or make better biscuits and then eventually suggesting that what she does is uses the woman's biscuits to make a cheesecake and then yeah. when she brings it in go oh yeah I, I did use your biscuits i wanted to make something special uh, and then they go into quite a weird exchange where basically it emerges that they both understand the term negging uh, and that yes. that's what they're trying to do to the, to the rival at the church is to sort of undermine her with a better baked good I love that because Alan says to her, how do you know about negging? I just thought you talked about the Bible at coffee mornings. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the, the way they wrap up this conversation, uh, you have Alan says, I've got to go. And then a slight pause and says, I don't need a reason. I love the implication that, that Lynn has asked him why he's got to end the call. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's got just the right level of sass, uh, but it's always overruled. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, so he's then distracted because someone's in the house. Uh, he starts to whisper. I thought his whispering is really odd and very deep and quite funny mm. um the tone he uses is great um and also his sort of strategies like creeks are good i know where the creeks are the burgers <laughs> don't know where the creeks are so so you have at this section he's he's heard a noise and you you kind of hear one of these background noises so i made i made a note at 11 minutes 36 when i think i think what it's supposed to be is supposed to just be a background not background noise but to me i would swear it actually sounds like a voice so Take, take your time and go back to that and see see what you think you hear. But to me, it doesn't sound like a creak. It actually hit. It actually sounds like it's a voice, like which is cut in as a bad edit. I'm sure that's not actually the case, but it, it sounds odd to me. 
Um, quite strange as well that his solution to once doing a wee in his pyjama bottoms after playing a cross the landing with no creaks game uh, is that he now sleeps bottomless. Hard to see how that would make the situation any any better or but safer it, or drier. And because also, it felt really nice, Adam. That's yeah, why. Yeah, I think he likes the freedom, the freedom <laughs> yeah. of the medium. And cross, sure. crossing the landing without um, touching the squeaky boards. I mean, I was playing that probably when I was about seven years old. Yeah. Like, yes, that's a familiar game, but not when you're kind of like, what, late 50s, early 60s. Oh, his OCD is out of control. <laughs> so he then goes into quite a long ramble about a washing machine and tumble dryer oh, and gosh, son- yeah. suddenly seems far more interested in finishing that story than actually listening out for his intruder. Um, <laughs> that's I, a I good put... point. Now, that's mid-potential intruder and he just exactly. goes off on one, yeah. I put at this point as well that surely the intruder is seldom. That was my guess at, at, at this stage of the game. Uh, I mean, it's more likely. I, it's it's pretty apparent that someone hasn't broken in, and we know that seldom kind of, um, in effect, kind of haunts the premises by going wherever uh, he pleases. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's probably more likely that it's seldom than than anyone else. I like that Alan kind of uh, G's himself up. Then he's like, uh, he says, "I'm not a chicken. I'm partridge. I'm game. Okay, let's roll." And then it cuts to theme. It's kind of. It's a bit of a tense moment, like what's going to happen next? There's some action, and then it comes back and it's 10 hours later. Yeah, he also, just before that point, says, there comes a time in your life when you're not running anymore, and you think he's sort of showing genuine flashes of bravery, but also, as we've seen before, seems to have learned all of his skills from watching films. So all of his kind of, all of his phrasing about sort of geeing himself up is all stuff that basically sounds like it came from a movie. Oh yeah, like, okay, let's roll. That's straight out of like an action film he's been watching, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Uh, so yes, ten hours later. Which does that mean that curtain. he's that? Does that mean then that he is now recording the podcast at three a.m. because it started at when he first heard the intruder? It was unless it was evening, and then it would, it would make more you know sense. What? No, this doesn't make sense because at the very top of the episode he says it's ten twelve, which work on the basis it's ten twelve a.m. Why does That's it have to be a.m.? Well, okay, but either way, when you get to the point in the episode where he first hears the noise in the house you've heard the clock chime five times so it doesn't it doesn't add up but yeah 10 hours later alan's tripped over a curtain he gets tangled in it and then just falls asleep (laughs) (laughs) might as well go to sleep absolutely defeated (laughs) (laughs) he says it's the best night's sleep he's had in years i think he says best day sleep doesn't he so that might make more sense yeah Um, emerges that actually the noise was not even as uh, as significant as seldom it was just uh, the toilet flapping his blind is blind in his bathroom um but he has still had a hand delivered letter which is slightly unnerving um and uh, he says that he has chatted to an injury lawyer since he uh, was recording the last segment of the podcast and so he has to retract his chat about attacking someone with a newspaper um and then there's a bit where he talks about um in terms of spatial awareness the difference between small and close versus big and far away which felt like almost a direct lift of yeah. the uh, well-known father ted sketch but i like that he used uh, kylie as the example for depth of field because she's not far away she's small and close <laughs> and the way that he'd uh, dispatch of her, that he'd grab the hood of her parka and swing her into a pond. That was a lovely <laughs> image. Um, he tries to disparage High Noon, who sent the letter by saying that he lives with his mum, that's something he keeps referring to, but also crucially believes that he drives a car with a 1.2 litre engine, which in Alan's world is a significant insult. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's the second time he mentions the engine size. Um, and he also guesses that High Noon probably lives in Swindon, which wouldn't actually make any sense if he's just hand-delivered a letter in Norwich. Very true. Um, is it time to not name Ross Kemp? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. 
Uh, he says he's not. He's describing someone. He says he's not going to name names, but it's a former presenter of Ross Kemp on Gangs. <laughs> it's one of my favourite lines. Yeah, uh, so and, good. And kind of a repeat of, of, of the gag we've seen in uh, in I'm Alan Partridge when he doesn't name Domingo from Little Oakley. Uh, won't give us his surname, um, but really great. Uh, he says that he called uh, Ross Kemp an SAS walnut, not to his face. <laughs> mentioned that his trunks were too small, and then basically realises that he's effectively told you it's Ross Kemp. <laughs> I like the inclusion of SAS because it's just a super army soldiers from extras again, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> uh, it's time. It's time for another one of Alan's sort of public service announcements, isn't it? Uh, this time, uh, cancer related. Check your balls. Check the inside of your bum. Uh, a gr- also, a gr- I thought it was a great take on the idea that like any messaging that has to be targeted at men, like for prostate cancer and stuff, they have to sort of beef it up or like put it through a lad filter. Like <laughs> lad men. Filter. men Men won't possibly understand the importance of it unless you're sort of like, yeah, cars, girls, check your balls, lads. Like awful kind of basic shit. But do check your bum and balls, basically. That's that's yeah. message we really over. Should, check your bum balls. Given our listenership is about 80, 90% male, guys, please do check your balls and your bum. Just had to say that. And once you've done that, you can join us with Alan in his security room. Oh, yeah. Yes, where he's uh, chatting about why a bird's eye view is overrated. You just want to be lower down. <laughs> I did enjoy oh, this yeah. where where he's obviously got a significant security setup, which is not as a result of this activity with High Noon. Um, but the fact that the fact that he'd seen what a crow with a bag of crisps on its head or something, <laughs> and he'd put, and he'd aimed nine cameras at it to see if it did something funny or flew off into yes. a telegraph pole, and, uh, and it got I, nothing. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Just the idea that he needed all nine cameras on it rather than... And the fact that he would find that funny as well. (laughs) (laughs) I think with... So the security room, he's got an alarm control pad, monitors for a security camera, a nightstick, sadly not a Danko nightstick. And then, yeah, like Adam said, he goes off on one about the... He basically, he's at pains to explain that none of his cameras are positioned anywhere sordid, but then goes on to explain in very precise detail where and how he would find it best to perv on someone <laughs> using cameras in the shower. Yeah. So he's definitely thought it through. I also enjoyed computer enhance, and then he realises <laughs> that there is no ability yeah. to speak to it. He hasn't got the tech. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's another life reference acquired through Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and yes, he. Uh, this is the point where effectively From the Oast House becomes a true crime podcast, doesn't it? Uh, it starts to <laughs> yeah. pipe in the true crime music, um, starts to describe things with an American accent, £180. Um, and I thought <laughs> this is really great. And I would have loved a bit more uh, of a pastiche of genre podcasting from, from the Oast House. But I suppose because this is so kind of mainstream, this is probably the first introduction for a lot of Partridge fans to podcasting. I imagine if he did too much stuff where he's sort of making fun of genres of podcasts, it might go over a lot of people's heads. And then the other thing is that, you know, maybe they don't want to go too far down that route because there are plans for a second series that might actually be a true crime themed podcast where they go on the search for Michael. Oh, so if there's maybe... a searching for Michael podcast, I'm so oh, keen on that. So keen. Oh, yeah. But, um... Oh, inter- interviewing members of his family. You can imagine there's so many directions they could take it. But I was going to say, I do think this kind of pastiche of true crime podcasts is is it's quite effectively and efficiently done and because you've kind of got these three points where he ruins any of the potential tension of the moment by explaining that he's going to bring the tense music in which then comes in (laughs) um 
I, I really enjoyed the fact that he declares it's transition to a successful podcast. It's like, that's not for him to say. And then finally, I, I love that he takes the cliffhanger trope of a true crime podcast far too literally by ending the episode of half a sentence. So oh, not yeah. even a build-up about what's going to happen next week. You literally get the person that posted the letter was, and it ends. And the the end. Yeah, it's yeah. far too literal. Yes, and so yes, that is the end of the break-in episode and the end of this week's episode of Monkey Tennis. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. If you've got any theories or suggestions or things that you hope that Alan will do next in uh, in podcast form or in other forms, we're on Instagram at Monkey Tennis Pod, uh, Twitter at the Partridge Pod, Facebook.com slash the Partridge Pod, email the Partridge Pod at gmail.com, uh, and you can leave us a WhatsApp voice note on 07923600017. That's the Monkey Tennis Hotline, and we may use it in a future show. Uh, if you'd like to shout us a coffee you can go to ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis and do that there we appreciate all donations uh we'll be back next week uh with more from the oast house uh including alan's time capsule uh but from all of us at monkey tennis the alan partridge fan podcast for now thanks and goodbye check your balls check your bum and this is the beauty of podcasting the freedom of the medium go compa Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. Fireworks. Don't muck about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis. Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me. Are you being served? Monkey tennis. Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis. Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis. Why not consider chips? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nah. Monkey Tennis from the Oast House. Keep it down, love. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.